it's Nurse Shayla. And Nurse Brittany. And you're listening to Your, your Call Light is on. on. How was your week? Busy. That's all I can say. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Week was busy, but I have a week off next week. I'm looking forward to having a week off to just chill, do nothing, have no responsibilities. How was your week? Great. A lot of work. Uh, I've been listening to LMA's album, which really? is I it's Love. It's yeah. It's so, really good. Uh, no complaints. Okay. That's good. So, for today, we are going to talk about the opioid epidemic. We could probably talk for a very long time about it. There's a lot of information involved in the opioid epidemic. Over the past two decades, it's really just been an increase in opioid use and some severe consequences from that use. So we could talk about it forever, but we really just wanted to touch on it a little bit in today's episode. What is an opioid? It is a drug that relieves pain, and when they're taken, they bind with the body's opioid receptors and they prevent pain signals from traveling to the brain. They can provide users with intense euphoria. When they're obtained legally through a prescription use from your doctor, they're completely safe to take. But when they're illegally obtained via the street, that can lead to addiction and even death. And when you say obtained legally, they are safe to take, what does that actually mean? They're just taken with a doctor's discretion. So Mm -hmm. the doctor is prescribing them for whether you have acute pain, which is, you know, short-term pain or chronic pain, long-term pain. And then there's two different types of opioids. There's the prescription opioids that your doctor will prescribe, and then there's the illegal ones that you find in the street. I tell my patients all the time that they are safe to take. Yeah. Just because that's what they taught us in nursing school. You take them as prescribed, they'll be fine, you won't be addicted. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's how the opioid companies pitched to FDA to get it prescribed, is they said that Opioid manufacturers said that opioids were 1% addictive, and today some studies say that opioids are about 40% addictive. Now, with those kind of stats, normal medications having such adverse effects like that would not be approved by the FDA. So that's part of the reason why they have that that lawsuit going on against opioid manufacturers Mm -hmm. for not disclosing that information. Do you ever have patients that'll tell you, like if you introduce them to a new medication that happens to be an opioid after surgery, and they're like, wait, what is that? Like, I don't want to take that. I don't want to get addicted to that. Do you ever have patients do that? Because I feel like that happens all the time. All the time. And I tell them, oh, you won't be addicted. It's okay. It's safe. Mm -hmm. But then now knowing those stats, what do you say to your patient? Yeah. Yes, it's highly addictive. But we know that opioids work for acute pain. Mm-hmm. I administer fentanyl almost every day where mm-hmm. I work. And it's funny because patients will look at me when I say that because they've heard about it all in the news. And I guess it just requires some detailed education on actually what it is and how it is to be used. And, you know, it's not always unsafe to use. Back to opioids. From 1999 to 2014, prescriptions for opioids have quadrupled. What kinds of drugs are considered opioids for people who might not know? The prescription opioids include morphine, codeine, oxycodone, hydrocodone, 
fentanyl and methadone. Those are all, again, prescription medications that your doctor might give you that you might receive in the hospital. Hydrocodone is the most commonly prescribed opioid followed by oxycodone. 78% of all prescribed opioids were hydrocodone and 15 or 16% were oxycodones. Illegal opioids include heroin and a whole other list of designer drugs. I'm not even familiar with them. One I think is called crocodile or crocodile or something like oh, that. Wow. I read about it's like a synthetic form of fentanyl or something. A lot of these drugs are synthetically made. Made. I mean, they're distributed on the street, so who knows how they're being made. But the bottom line is they're illegal, and they're a form of an opioid that people get addicted to. Not only are they illegal, but because, I mean, fentanyl, we know how strong fentanyl yes. is. Because there's no quality assurance with these drugs that are created and distributed, it makes it difficult for us to know how to treat when yes. someone comes in. We know that yeah. Narcan works, but now we are having to give four and five doses of Narcan mm -hmm. because these drugs are so powerful. Narcan is a reversal drug for an opioid. Right. With Narcan, a lot of states have actually made it easier to obtain it. And they pass laws to widen the availability for friends and family members of people who have a known substance abuse issue. This opioid epidemic is costing us $78.5 billion a year. There are some people who are at an increased risk for opioid addiction and abuse, and they include people who already have a family history of opioid addiction and abuse or history of alcohol abuse or any other substance abuse, cigarette smoking, life stressors, chronic pain, major depression, anxiety, mental illnesses, and also obtaining overlapping prescriptions from multiple healthcare providers and pharmacies. So say you see a podiatrist for foot pain, you see a chiropractor for back pain, and you see your primary care provider for whatever other type of pain. You could easily obtain prescriptions from all three of those providers for your pain, and you could abuse those if you wanted to. In an article published in 2016 in the Journal of American Medicine, they found that more than 61% of those no longer taking opioid medications would keep them for future use instead of disposing of them. And 20% of those people would actually share them with someone else. And, and that perpetuates yeah. this issue that we have going on. Within the last couple of years, mm -hmm. we've definitely seen a change in the laws as far as being able to obtain multiple prescriptions from different providers. Mm -hmm. Now pharmacy has that database where you can see where prior prescriptions have been written and that helps to control. I know now providers are only able to give four to seven days worth of narcotics upon discharge. discharge. Okay. But the risk factor that I found most interesting was the one related to cigarette smoking. I had no idea that nicotine dependence is associated with increased sensitivity to pain. And when a patient is in the hospital, and they're not able to go have their smoke breaks, we know that that is associated with the need for increased doses of medications in order to control the pain. This is something that I just 
I just did not know. So it is important when we get a patient and we are doing our admission assessment and we notice that they are current smokers, especially if they're going to be surgical patients or are in for a trauma, we should be advocating for our patients to get them that nicotine patch ordered so that there is no interference with uh, being able to control their pain. I thought that was really interesting and good information to know to implement into my nursing care. That's a legitimate correlation mm-hmm. that most people just don't even think about. Yeah, or we just don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Patients that we've seen that develop these addiction to opioids, it started with they broke their leg. They needed a week or two or month at that time before the new laws, a month worth of opioids, which stemmed the addiction. Mm-hmm. Then we have people who have chronic pain who are constantly in pain, and they may be taking 10 milligrams of oxycodone every four hours, and being on that for a prolonged period of time, you build a tolerance or decrease efficacy of the drug over time. And it's important to note, too, that people with other comorbidities are at an increased risk for opioid abuse. And when we think of tolerance, we also think of withdrawal. Withdrawal develops after the body has become accustomed to a certain level of opioids. So when you're not getting that same dose or the dose has stopped, you may present with withdrawal. Some of those signs and symptoms include Anxiety, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain, mood swings, low enthusiasm, disturbed sleep, sweating, palpitations, or fast heart rate. When you're hospitalized and you have a patient who is going through withdrawal, we are constantly assessing them and managing their withdrawal symptoms. Narcan can be given through IV. It can be given through the muscle subcutaneously and actually nasally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I do not know that. Intranasally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> EMS providers, paramedics, first responders have Narcan on them. The onset of action is very rapid within one to two minutes. And if you even suspect that someone is overdosing, it's better to give the Narcan than to not because if they're not, Overdosing, if they haven't taken any opioids, it won't have any effect on them. You just happen to keep Narcan on you. If you find someone unconscious and you believe that they've overdosed, it's better to give the Narcan than to not give the Narcan. Some things that could happen after Narcan is administered, some signs and symptoms that could occur as nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, dizziness, increased blood pressure, increased heart rate, seizures, VTAC, VFib, Both of those could result in cardiac arrest. So if you are somebody who is at home and you give Narcan, you should still go to the emergency department to be monitored. You should still seek medical attention. You shouldn't just be a person who just keeps Narcan to revive your friends all the time. And I know that was some controversy too because people are thinking because the availability of Narcan is so widespread You can get it easily. It just means that people are going to use opioids more because they know they can reverse it. That's a big controversy. And, you know, whether you believe that is whatever. But bottom line, Narcan is an essential to have if you know someone who takes opioids and has the potential to overdose. And you just mentioned the ED. 
opioid-related ED visits have increased 99% between the years of 2000 and 2014. So I'd imagine it's still probably about the same, but those visits have increased 99%. ED nurses are they're one of the first people to be there. ED nurses are at the front lines of this. Caring for individuals who have an opioid addiction can result in caregiver fatigue. It can result in a lot of burnt out nurses. And these patients can be manipulative. They can be very consuming. And it can result in those stereotypes and almost not wanting to have to deal with it, not wanting to go into work. It puts a lot of stress on the providers. Our main goal is to serve our patients, but when you are constantly seeing the same manipulative patients, saving the same patients, sometimes you're not treated appropriately, you're disrespected, you're abused, it results in a lot of burnout and high turnover for nurses anyway, but nurses in the ED combating this opioid epidemic my hearts go out to all those nurses because you are seeing it all. For sure. So my question is, how did we get to this point? In nursing school, remember, they taught us that pain is the fifth vital sign. And I think a lot of us as nurses forget that we need to be asking that question. What is your pain? From zero to 10, 10 being the worst, and actually listen to the patient and do something with that information. Pain is whatever the patient says that it is. It's a quality measure. And because it's a quality measure, I, 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 you're right, Shayla, we should be asking our patients, it is a quality. So when we say quality measure, it, it's a healthcare quality measure. And that just means hospitals are, are scored on how they control or don't pain. We ask our patients, was your pain a zero? So we were kind of giving everybody opioids to keep their pain zero so that we could hit that quality measure and be reimbursed. If you're penalized because you are not controlling pain or your patients don't have a zero pain, what do you do? You push more opiates. You push more pain medication to, to get that rating, to get that reimbursement. That's kind of a sticky situation. And now they've adjusted the language of how we ask the question or how it's measured. So instead of saying, was your pain a zero or did you have pain when you were in the hospital, it's, was your pain discussed? To accept the fact that some people will have pain, like you said, I think it even mentioned something about consults. Did the doctor ask you about your pain and what was done? So we should be addressing it and not just leaving it be or forcing opiates down their throat, so. Mm-hmm. And believing the patient for when they say their pain is pain. Yeah, because we, it is subjective. It is whatever they say it is. Exactly. <laughs> Until we find a better definition. Yeah. Ethically speaking, as a nurse, our job is to, to keep our patients safe, to keep them from pain and suffering. It is unethical to have our patients suffer. If we have someone who is opioid addicted and is on that call light every hour for pain meds because their pain is a 10, they don't look like their pain is a 10, but their pain is a 10, we have to give them that pain med. 
we cannot ethically not give the patient the pain med. I know some of us are rolling our eyes or we don't feel comfortable doing that, but unfortunately, until some things change, we, we have to, to continue to follow those treatment plans and make sure we put our patients first and get those appropriate consults so that we can treat the patient as a team because it, it will take more than giving the patient morphine or Dilaudid every hour to fix their problem. We can't send them home with it, so we should just get them the resources. That they need. That they need. Don't you love that patient who's sitting in the bed saying, oh, I have 10 out of 10 pain, eating a bag of Cheetos, watching Judge Judy? Don't you love that? (laughs) And they just look just so peachy. You get in there because you just finished coding a patient, and they say my pain med was due at 12 and right. it's, and it's 12.07. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have to just swallow our pride and... Put our assumptions and judgments to the side. And use that as an opportunity to educate our patient about relaxation while they wait and thoughts about pain. I read a tidbit saying that people who have an opioid addiction can spend up to $150 to $200 a day on their habit. Imagine spending $200 a day, a day, on your habit. That's like three pairs of shoes a day I could buy. (laughs) Wow. Locally, it was just announced that uh, our area will be enforcing the strike force, which is supposed to target large-scale drug trafficking. Because when you think about it, how else are these drugs getting on the street? Mm -hmm. These are controlled substances. So they are coming from somewhere, some inside job. Fentanyl just doesn't pop up. And so this strikeout force is supposed to combine local, state, and federal governments to combat this large-scale drug trafficking and provide tougher penalties for individuals who are partaking in this. This is supposed to begin sometime spring of 2019. So I look forward to seeing what this do for the opiate epidemic. Another thing that I saw is on the ballot this year, they have issue one. Issue one, that is the Drug and Criminal Justice Policy Initiative. It supports making offenses related to drug possession and use no more than misdemeanors. It sounds like, if it is implemented, that it would focus more on treatment of individuals with addiction instead of locking them up Mm -hmm. and doing absolutely nothing for them. So it will give them some hopefully better resources to get into programs and treatment facilities and education and work things where they can be integrated back into the community, not locked up, and then come back out to do the same thing. It would be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, how it's implemented, how it can hopefully implement some positive change. Yes. So when we look at all of this opioid epidemic, we think, how does this fit into nursing? How do we respond to this? We're not all mental health trained. We sometimes don't know how to respond. We have stereotypes and stigmas towards the patient who's on the call light every hour for their pain meds on the dot, what do we do without ethically 
violating our patients. What do you think about that, Sherwin? As we said before, we're at the forefront, along with EMS personnel and other healthcare professionals. We have to be ready to act, quickly save lives, and do what we can to prevent future occurrences of opioid overdose. And I don't even know if this is appropriate to say or not, but we have had incidences in hospitals, and if you're a nurse, you probably know of it. You maybe even had a patient of your own. They have family members. They have friends. They have drug dealers who will come into the hospital and give them drugs while we are trying to treat them, heal them, get them better to go back out into the world. We have it happening right under our nose. I, as a travel nurse, uh, have worked in a facility where individuals would be overdosing in the rooms. We were, we were calling codes because this patient just overdosed in the room. It is real. So what do we do about this? We should be constantly assessing our patient, assessing their symptoms for withdrawal. If you have a patient who you know you're not giving opiates to, they are fine, and it's day four, and they haven't supposedly had any opioids, I would consider asking for a urine test, asking the doctor for a urine test, just to make sure that we are actually helping our patient and that they're not just here still getting high. Or So assess, 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 assess. Discuss with your patients. Make them feel comfortable. Talk about the misconceptions regarding treatment of opioid disorders. Advocate for them. If you have a patient and you're noticing you're giving them more pain medications than you do any of your other patients for the same issue, and I don't want to say there's a baseline, but to some degree, let's say a post-surgical patient, normally pain is tolerated 5 to 10 milligrams of oxycodone every 4 to 6 hours. It's day 5 and they're still requiring, they're requiring very frequent opioids. Mm -hmm. You maybe pain management, all facilities don't have pain management, or behavioral health needs to be consulted. We should go into this thinking as a team approach. Let's get behavioral health, psych, pain management, case management on board, and you as the nurse have that control. The doctors don't always think of consulting another team. A lot of times we wait until it's too late, until the patient has already, you know, years down the road, they've already developed this full-blown addiction, Mm -hmm. and now we're trying to throw all of these resources to them and expecting them to just jump on board. So we need to make it a team approach early on, and since nurses are at the front lines, it's our job to advocate for our patients Mm -hmm. to, to do so. Promote relaxation and alternate modalities of pain control. There's a lot of alternatives, which some people might say it's, eh, whatever, it's not going to cut it. But I think it's at least, at least give it a try before you just knock it. Some alternatives to opioids include just lifestyle changes, smoking cessation. We talked about nicotine and the correlation between nicotine and opioids. Aerobic activity, physical therapy, treatment for anxiety, depression, PTSD, which can oftentimes be 
an underlying reason for why people become addicted and abuse opioids. Surgery, injections, and then also explain... Have injections. Cortisone, Botox, different medications that are used to relieve pain. Mm -hmm. We should also explore non-opioid medications, especially in patients that are known to abuse opioids, let's try some alternatives. Let's, let's try some NSAIDs, your ibuprofen, your naproxen, Mobic, Celebrex. Let's try Tylenol, muscle relaxants, which muscle relaxants do have a danger as well with any medication, obviously. You need to make sure that you're educating yourself, that your doctor is educating you as well to the side effects and potential adverse reactions that can happen, but antidepressants. If you're going to go the medication route, just know that opioids are not the end-all, be-all. There are other medications that can also help to relieve pain as well. Maybe start with those and see how they work for you with your doctor's discretion. So with all the new legislation, there's, there's now funding to have more research to develop more non-opioid pain medications. So I would not be surprised if we started to see new medications come out that don't have the addictive properties as opioids do. Also, thoughts about pain. There's studies saying your thoughts about pain matter. How you view pain as far as how you anticipate it matters. So if we could change our patients' thoughts on pain, whether it's surgical pain, whether it's normal, everyday aches and pains, and promote more deep relaxation, we know that relaxation and exercising releases endorphins. Endorphins are, are feel-good. Mm -hmm. Let's try to change our perception of pain and establish that early on in the plan of care with patients, whether inpatient or outpatient or however you're seeing your patients or your family members, and like Shayla said, incorporate those other modalities of pain control. We also know that, and speaking of nurses being at the front line, I thought this was an interesting little tidbit. I read that a one in 10 healthcare professionals are struggling with addiction or abusing medications that are not prescribed to them. This was in an American Nurses Association article, which estimates about 10% of nurses are found to be abusing drugs. And what's even more frightening is that these people are, I mean, you, you're working. While you're under the influence. While you're under the influence. I thought that, because again, traveling, you are exposed to everything. I've worked at facilities that have had investigations of nurses and they were taking the drugs instead of giving them to their patients or giving partial. It's a real thing. And what do you do as a nurse? If you see that happening, you are obligated to report that they need help as well. And it's not safe for our patients. No, it's not. I think that we need to remember that when we are caring for our patients, who are using pain medications, let's also remember to, if we can, be as non-judgmental as possible, care for them in the best way that we know how to, and let's also incorporate some other modalities in with the actual medications. If your patients are taking medications, medications have been proven to be effective for them, 
why not tie in some other things as well? Let's tie in some Reiki, some um, yoga, massage therapy, physical therapy. I know you can't do acupuncture in the hospital, but let's tie in Or some, outside the hospital. Outside the hospital. Let's tie in some yeah. other things, some nutritional supplements. I mean, food is medicine. Let's... Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And if your facility doesn't offer this, then maybe that's something that you can look into. You know, in the midst of this uh, as a whole, you can push for things to be implemented within your hospital systems to help with controlling pain. For people that we know that have addiction issues, it's important to know that there are residential, inpatient, and outpatient services and support groups that help. Every 18 minutes in the U.S., someone dies from an accidental overdose. We are in a public health crisis. We are in an opioid epidemic. This is a very important time to remain educated about it, stay abreast of issues and legislation regarding opioids and opioid use and abuse. So wrapping up, what are our takeaways from this? As a nurse or anyone in healthcare, know what's happening in your area so that you can inform your patients, especially regarding legislation as far as prescribers limiting the amount of drugs that they are able to provide or opiates that they are able to provide. Let that be known to your patients so that they understand we are not stereotyping or stigmatizing or trying to give them a hard time, but it's in fact just the law. Assess and advocate for your patient. Get the appropriate consults, whether it's behavioral health, psych, social work, and give them resources that are actually feasible so that they can make the change. Make sure pain management is consulted. This is a team approach, and it one person cannot fix it. And we so, can't expect for the patient to do it alone. Correct. That's too much pressure on someone. This is, it's more than, it's deeper than just abusing drugs. It's, it's deeper than that, and we cannot expect for our patients to tackle this issue on their own. And we have to set them up so that they can follow up. They can and they will need follow up. We know that there there are treatment plans and make sure that we are implementing safe environment for both the provider and the, the patient. We also need to remember that everybody who is struggling with opioid addiction has family and friends and we need to provide support to family and friends or resources so that they can also get help or the management that they, they need. We want to thank you for listening to this episode. I want to just end by thanking everyone who has supported us thus far. Listen to our previous podcast, followed us on Instagram, emailed us, provided us with any feedback. We definitely appreciate it. I think Brittany and I have both come to the conclusion that we hate her voices. And we've been told that everyone hates their voices. So thank you for listening to our voices for the past couple of weeks. And we're working to get you some great content and deliver some great information to you guys and hopefully inspire some of you. So thanks for listening thus far. Thanks for your support. And have a great week.